The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, Let me give you some uh, elements this morning. I believe uh, that the first element uh, of an engaged church that we see in this passage of Scripture is the element of acknowledgement. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I believe if we're going to be the church that we are, uh, are supposed to be, we must acknowledge the fact that we cannot do what God has called us to do on our own. It's an acknowledgement. You know why that uh, those Christians, before uh, they uh, went down to preach, before Peter ever opened his mouth to preach at Pentecost, you know why they were in upper room praying? They acknowledged that they could not do it. They acknowledged that they could not do a work of God without God. How often do we enter into the ministry, if you would, the, uh, the uh, job, the responsibility of helping others and serving others, and we try to do it on our own? We think, I'm going to get this done. I'm good enough. I'm great enough. I'm strong enough. I'm tough enough. I can do this. You know what? Can I remind you and me this morning that there's nothing good in us except for Jesus Christ and that we cannot get the job done without him. We can do all things through Christ, but we can do nothing without him. Jesus told us that. Without me, ye can do nothing. What good is a vine? What good, if you would, what good are the branches without the root? Uh, If we cut off the branch from the root, from the source of the power, how long is that going to live? How long is that going to survive? You see, a lot of Christians seem weak, anemic, powerless today. And why is that? Because they're relying on themselves. Mm. How long can you go without eating, without feeling the results? How long can you go without the sustenance, the, uh, the power that you need in order to get the job done? How long can you do that before you feel the results? I believe we can do it longer spiritually than we can do physically. I believe the flesh is weak. That's what the Bible says. The flesh is weak. In other words, we skip a meal and we feel it. Come on. Anybody get grumpy when you don't eat? You ever bite someone's head? You say, whoa, I didn't eat lunch. That's probably why. Really, it's just that you're a grumpy person and you're blaming it on that you didn't eat lunch. But the truth of the matter is, we feel the results when we skip just one meal, even if it's our snack time. Come on, you know. We, we, don't, we don't get what we need. We don't, we don't have the things that we need. We're deficient. You know what we do today when we feel deficient? Well, we take supplements, don't we? To uh, kind of supplement what we need. Can I tell you, there is no supplement in the Christian life for the Word of God. There is no supplement to the Christian life than a private life with the Lord. There is no supplement uh, to prayer. There are no supplements to the things that God has told us, but often we think we're supplementing it, don't we? We think, I've come to church, and so now I don't need to eat from the Word because someone uh, spoon-fed me this morning. The truth of the matter is, is God's called me as a pastor to feed the flock of God that's, that's among me. My job today is to feed you. But the truth of the matter is, it's with the result that you go out and feed yourself. I'm feeding you today. Who will feed you tomorrow? I hope you feed yourself. Christians that are mature in the Lord will feed themselves. They'll get in the Word. They'll acknowledge the fact that God's with them every day. He never leaves them nor forsakes them. But it's going to take some acknowledgement, isn't it? An acknowledgement that we cannot do the job on our own. We must confess our need of God and His power. Come on, church, have we done that? When's the last time you told God, God, I can't, but I know you can. God, I'm not able, but I know that you are. Boy, faith pleases God, doesn't it? And faith is that, that, that substance 
that evidence of things that's not seen, that when we say to God, I can't, I know you can. God, I'm not able, but you're able. God, I don't have the strength or the power, but I know that you do. Lord, I know that if I rely on your power and strength, I'll never burn out as a Christian. Truth of the matter is, as much of burnout is just a revelation of ministry done in the flesh. It's just us trying to do it and get it done on our own. Come on, fake it till you make it doesn't work in the Christian life. God didn't call us to be fakes. He called us to be authentic. He called us to be real. He called us to be ambassadors. He called us to acknowledge the truth. We have got to be honest with ourselves. Judgment must begin in the house of God. We've got to say to ourselves, God, uh, I'm not able to get this job done. Oh, Lord, you put before us a great city, a great town, a great area, and we're not able to reach them. We're not able to save them. God, we're not able to do the job, but we know that you are. And God, would you use us? We acknowledge our inability, but God, we also claim and commit to obedience to your word, and we will do what you called us to do. It is that church that will be engaged in making a difference. Must acknowledge our utter dependence upon the Lord for everything. Mm. I think often, as much as we know that God supplies all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, I think often we think that we're a part of that process. Well, I did the work. I made the check. I bought the food. I did all these things. Oh, just God taking his hand off your life just for one moment, you wouldn't be able to breathe today. You'd be able to walk today. You'd be able to think today. Don't you think that your ability to reason, the wisdom that you have, the wherewithal of your body, the talents and gifts that you have, don't you shake your fist at God and tell God that you're getting it done. It is God that worketh in us both to will and do his good pleasure. God is the uh, one. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy has saved us. You didn't do the work to get yourself saved, and you don't do the work afterwards either. God continues to work through us. That's why we need him. Uh, that's why, listen, if God thought we didn't need him, he wouldn't leave his spirit with us always. He said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Aren't you glad he didn't leave you alone? Aren't you glad he didn't leave it to us? Come on, I'm glad he didn't leave the church up to the people of God to keep it together. I'm glad that it is God's people acknowledging that we need God's power to get the job done. He's looking for people willing to bow. Willing to bow. The Lord cannot and will not bless our pride, but he will honor our humility. James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. What does God say is the key uh, to greatness in the kingdom of God, humility, servitude, that we'd say, God, I'm a servant, I'm not worthy. God, I'm not worthy. And by the way, often uh, our pride is cloaked in humility. Oh, look how humble I am. Mm. Oh, I'm making myself humble. Let God humble you. He does a better job. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. I heard this illustrated one time, and I thought my preacher probably perhaps one of the best illustrations I've ever heard for God humbling us is God takes us lower than what we're willing to take ourselves. That's why we must humble him, ourselves under his mighty hand. Because we would only go to a certain point and say, okay, I'm humble enough. And God says, no, not humble enough. And God takes us lower. We say, I can't take it. I can't do it. But God does it, doesn't he? He brings us lower than what we bring ourselves. Come on, you ever been there? I have. Boy, it's not fun. It's not fun. As far as the flesh is concerned, it's crucifying. But isn't that where we're supposed to be, Christians? 
underneath the mighty hand of God? I said it's going to take acknowledgement as an element. Number two, it's going to take appetite. Appetite. You know, if we would see the Lord move, we, uh, like, uh, we need him to, by the way, today. We must possess and desire to see that happen. Mm. You ever think about that? God will move amongst the people who desire him to do so. They want it. They desire it. You ever think about desire? Does God give that to us? Sure. Why did God give us the desire or the hunger that comes? Because it's a natural response to give us a desire to eat so that we would not hurt ourselves. God gives us desire for things, doesn't he? You know, husbands, God gives you desire for your wife. Wife, uh, he gives you desire for your husband. Those are things that are natural and right and good. And by the way, those are things that bring honor and glory to the Lord. Good desires, but we also know there's some desires in us that are not good. Hmm. Things that would pull us away from the Lord. Appetites that are not good. God tells us to refrain from those things. Stay away from them. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Depart from it and do good. God tells us that good appetites uh, are the result of good uh, relationships. In other words, if I've got a good relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to have a healthy appetite. Anybody uh, have a real desire for some vegetables right now? Maybe you do. By, by the way, if you really do, it's because you've fostered a good appetite. Uh, if I was to mention some other foods, perhaps, uh, there'd be some of you that said, well, yeah, I would have a, a desire for that. I'd want some of those things. But don't we know the Christian life, it's about curbing those desires or allowing the Lord to curb those desires? Who's given me good desires? He has. He's given me the right desires. The Lord shall give you the desires of thine heart. That doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to, and by the way, it doesn't mean that God gives me what I want. It means that God gives me the desires that are to go into my heart, what I should desire. I, I shared this with the teenagers. I got the opportunity to speak to our young uh, people at snow camp and those from the other church, and I shared this illustration with them. Uh, just a week ago, or a little over a week ago, uh, just on Sunday evening, my wife and I uh, got to go away, and uh, that was our Christmas gift to each other. We said, we're going to go away for a little bit, and we want to spend some time together. That's what we gave each other for Christmas. And so we got to go to New York City. You may not like that, but we enjoy it. It may not be what you enjoy, but different appetites, right? Uh, so we enjoy that. So we got to go away, and uh, we left Sunday night after the evening service, and uh, we acted like a bunch of newlyweds. As a matter of fact, we were in Times Square, and uh, about five people said to us, uh, they said, newlyweds, newlyweds. We just, every time, yep. Yeah. How long have we been married? She had to think about it. <laughs> too long. No, uh, thir- thir- she said too long. No, 13 years. And, you know, almost 13 years. This year in July, July 7th. And, uh, you know, uh, we've uh, newlyweds. Newlyweds, that's what they said. Uh, uh, and I heard people say that. God said, newlyweds, newlyweds. Kind of under their breath, a couple of them, newlyweds. You know, look at them, newlyweds, you know, where we went. So, I mean, we were just walking around having a time. And uh, I made uh, reservations on Monday night. I, I found a, a place that was rated the most romantic restaurant in New York City. Come on, ladies, I get some brownie points for that one. <laughs> made a reservation. Boy, it was. Beautiful atmosphere. Walked in. Guys in there playing the piano. I mean, just candlelight. It was quiet, little West Village area. And uh, we went down there, and I sat down, and I thought, boy, this is going to be really good. This is going to be great. And you know what I saw they had on the menu? Just, 
You know what I saw they had on the menu? Beef Wellington. I thought, boy, maybe you don't know what that is or don't. Because I've always wanted to have that. I saw that on the menu. It's basically like a filet mignon wrapped in, in, in uh, mushrooms and then put inside of a paste, puff pastry and baked inside that. Boy, it was good. Uh, I thought it was going to be good. On the way over, we took a taxi cab. And uh, on the way over, I began to feel something in the pit of my stomach that did not feel right. And I thought, oh, no. I'm getting sick. And, uh, I, you know, I, we were just talking about it. I, I really can't remember the last time I was real sick to my stomach like that. And uh, we walked in the restaurant, and I knew something that I was not going to be able to eat. And I thought, boy, this is terrible. And my wife's like, you know, we can go. We can come back. Do and I said, no, we're not going to ruin the whole night. You know, we'll just go. And, and I thought we weren't going to ruin the whole night. But uh, we went and sat down, and uh, we ordered. And I, so I tried to uh, get something down. I began to eat, and I said, boy, that was a mistake. Shouldn't have done that. Began to feel sick and more and more sick. And, you know, come on, you ever feel like that? You start to sweat, and you get the chills, and then your whole body starts to ache. And that's what was happening to me. And my stomach was not feeling right. Man, I was feeling terrible. And I, I said, boy, I have got to get out of here. This is not going to be the most romantic restaurant in New York City <laughs> in about one minute. It's going to be about the least romantic restaurant in New York City. And uh, I said, boy, I've got to get out of here. And uh, I excused myself. I said, I've got to use the restroom. And so excused myself. And, and uh, the waiter uh, was kind of trying to catch me to kind of bring me the, rest, the, the restroom. But I was already moving faster than what he could catch me. And I, I said, boy, I, gotta get, I couldn't find the restroom. I wasn't going to wait. I hit the front door and got outside. Man, I said, boy, I've got to get out here. And, uh, boy, I, I was never so humiliated in my life. It was not a pretty scene, but I was glad it didn't happen in the restaurant. And I kind of, you know, I found a little guy in the, in the alley, and we shared the alley together. And <laughs> we were kind of doing the same thing anyway, so it was, it was fun. I thought, boy, people are just going to think like I'm some kind of party animal drunk out here. And doing, I mean, I was embarrassed. I said, Lord, help nobody see me. This is so embarrassing. I tried to move away from the restaurant. The, the waiter came back, told my wife I went out for a smoke. I mean, it was great, you know, and uh, it was just, I thought, you know, this is wonderful, you know, uh, what a romantic evening, and the truth of the matter is, I sat down, and I had no appetite, something I had wanted to eat, something I wanted to taste, something I knew that was good. There was nothing wrong with the atmosphere, beautiful, beautiful music playing, a beautiful restaurant. Everything was wonderful. As a matter of fact, the waiter came over several times and said, Sir, is there something wrong? Can we take this back? Can we do something? And I said, Listen, it's not you. It's not the restaurant. It's not the food. It's me. There's nothing wrong with the atmosphere. There's nothing wrong with the food. There's nothing wrong with the things that are around me. The problem with my appetite is inside of me. The truth of the matter is, that's us, isn't it? When I don't want to eat things that are good, and boy, I said this to my wife, I said, I know I'm sick because the very thought of food and even this food here repulses me. It's literally repulsing to me. I don't want it. And I thought uh, as I was there, and uh, I guess I'm a pastor all the time because I'm out in the, uh, in the alleyway moving down thinking of sermon illustrations while I'm, while I'm doing that. And I thought, boy, you know what I said to the Lord? Actually, in between moves. I said, thank you, Lord. I said, thank you, Lord. I said, my sin repulses you like this. I said, and sometimes I don't, I am not repulsed 
buy it like I should. And you offer me a perfect atmosphere. You offer me a perfect meal, a perfect word, and I'll turn it down even repulsed by it because I want something else. I don't even want it. You know, it's sad when Christians are repulsed by the things of God. The truth of the matter is, I believe if you have the Spirit of God, He's going to give you the right appetites. He's going to give you a desire as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that she may grow thereby. You know, I'd check myself this morning if I didn't have a desire for the Word of God. Either you're not saved this morning and you're trusting in a mere profession of faith or you've got some appetites that you've been eating on, binging on for quite some time and they've turned you from the right appetites this morning. And you've got to check yourself, whether you're in the faith, whether you're in Christ, whether you're lost, or whether you're a Christian and you're just not right with the Lord. And you've got to say to yourself, God, help me to have the right appetites that are pleasing to you. God forbid that we should look at our life and say, God, I don't want to eat what you want me to eat. You know, the Bible says that this early church had an appetite for fellowship. Mm. They wanted to be around other Christians. They wanted to be around the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. They wanted to be soul winners. They wanted to serve others. They wanted to meet others' needs. Do you see the appetites of this early church? What they desired to do. It doesn't say anywhere that there was a pastor chasing them around saying, you know, you do this, and you do that, and you make sure you do, and you make sure you, and make sure you. No, no. It was just natural appetites in the life of spirit-filled Christians. That's what we need. That's what we need. You know, I don't want to stop reminding people to read their Bible and pray every day, and I'll keep reminding you to do that. But I hope you respond to the Holy Spirit when He calls you to His Word. I hope you respond to the Holy Spirit when He calls you to fellowship. Boy, He wants to fellowship with you, Christian. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him and he with me. A word to the Christian. He wants us to fellowship with him. Boy, how long can you go without fellowshipping with your Savior? Hmm. How long? Come on. Uh, it bothers me sometimes when people have no appetite for church. They say, boy, I'm in a perfect atmosphere. I, I've got the, everything's right. I've been served. The word of God's being served to me, but have no desire for it. Don't want to receive it. I've seen people literally look like they're sick from it, repulsed by it. Oh, I don't want to hear it. God, I don't want to hear that message. I don't want to hear those things. Oh, I don't want to be convicted by your spirit. Isn't that what a desire for sin will cause us to do? It'll cause us not to want to hear the word. Boy, we've got to be right with the Lord and have the right appetites. And be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the spirit. God speaks to the Christian and says, you ought to have the right appetites, not the wrong one. Desire to be filled with the Spirit of God, not to be control of other substances. An appetite. Number three, I believe an element of an engaged church is awareness. Awareness. We've got to have our eyes open to the possibilities of the services that exist all around us. An awareness. Uh, I always admire uh, athletes that have, if you would, a great awareness of what's around them. You ever see somebody, and I look at a guy... I said, man, that guy didn't even look, and he made that pass. I thought, boy, if I did that, it hit the wall, hit the ref, hit the fans, hit somebody else. That guy can just kind of throw the ball, and it seems like it goes to the right place all the time. He's got a good awareness uh, around him. 
What gives us an awareness of the right things? The Holy Spirit does. He makes us aware to the things that are around us, does he not? Come on, you ever sit in a place and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit prods your heart about somebody that's around you? He says, this person needs something. This person has a need, and I've placed you here to fill that need. You say, well, this person doesn't go to my church. Well, this person is not in my fellowship. This person is, God doesn't care about that. God cares about their soul. You notice the early church, all men, the Bible says. Wherever they went, they had awareness to people. Didn't Jesus have that type of awareness? Hmm. Jesus was aware. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. The Spirit led him places. He followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that while he was preaching on one shore, he had needs and desire to go to another shore. Because on the other side, there was a man that needed his help. We call him the Gadaderan maniac, the maniac of Gadara. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus didn't see him that way. He saw him as a man that was tormented and needed a savior. And Jesus stepped on the shore, and that man's life was never the same. And the truth of the matter is, is whose life is different today because of your Holy Spirit's awareness? Hmm. Christians are to be what? Salt and light. Does salt make a difference if it has not lost its savor? Does light make a difference if it's not hidden under the bushel? It makes a difference. Jesus told us if the salt has lost its savor, wherewithal shall it be salted? God said, listen, Christians, unless you're aware of the surroundings that are around you, you will not make a difference in the world that you're in. Having compassion, making a difference, the Bible says. Jesus had compassion, made a difference. Awareness. Come on, is it nothing to you or you that pass by? Are we like those that are not aware of those around us, that we don't see their needs? Aren't you glad that God sees your need? Aren't you glad that we serve a God that not one sparrow drops from the ground without his notice? He knows. He's numbered the hairs on our head. He knows. Some of you say it's easier for him to number for my, in my life. But he knows. Listen, does he know what you're going through today? Is he not touched with the very feelings of your infirmities? Do we not have a high priest that we can come boldly before that throne and find grace to help in time of need? Oh, my friend, God knows, does he not? He knows. He is aware of you, and he has made you aware of himself. He has revealed himself to you so that you could reveal him to others. Boy, God wants us to be aware, doesn't he? Aware like the early church. If we have a heart to serve the Lord, he will reveal his will and his business to us. I say every day, Lord, help me not to be about my business, but about yours. You ever uh, notice when God flips the schedule, when God changes the plan? I like to make plans. I like to schedule in advance. Uh, I, I like to say, you know, we're going to do this and do this. But you know what I always do when I make my plans? I say, God, I've made plans. I've dug the ditches, if you would, for you to fill with rain. But God, if you want to change the plans, it's up to you. God, this is not uh, my will, but yours. And prayerfully, we enter in, we counter out our church calendar. But honestly, if God says, I want this and I don't want this, I hope we be sensitive enough as a church to change. 
God, help us not to be so much. Come on, even in a service. Even in a service, God can change the service order. God can say another song or a longer invitation or a little bit more of the message. Or God can say a little bit more prayer. I hope that we're listening to his call. So many Christians put it on autopilot when they come into church and just say, well, whatever's dictated. I wonder if God pricked your heart and said, oh boy, you need to right where you sit right now, confess that sin and get it right. Don't you wait for the invitation. Don't you wait for the, a, a, a call from me. If God has called you, you obey him now. If God has spoken to you, you surrender in your heart now. You don't need to wait for me to call. Oh, we want to give the opportunity and make the way, the atmosphere for the Spirit to move. But you listen to Him as He speaks to you. And you hear His voice and awareness. Too many are waiting for someone to tell them what to do and not enough are are listening to the Holy Spirit of God. Awareness. Number four, attention. Attention. We've got to give our attention to becoming everything God saved us to be. You know, we must remember that the Lord did not save us just to deliver us from hell. He saved us that we might be an example of His grace and a mighty tool in His hand. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What has God predestined that we would be conformed to the image of His Son? What has God preordained that we would be about His business, that we would do His works, that His will would be done through, through us, if you would? But you know what I understand? That without me, God's will still gets done. God doesn't have to use me. He chooses to. God doesn't have to use you. He chooses to. And if we don't uh, allow ourselves to be used, the very rocks will cry out. God can use anything. God can use anyone. Come on, does he not show us that even the Old Testament? When he uses a donkey to speak when no one else will? God will use whatever he wants. Come on, has he not used various messages in your life? Has he not used various experiences in your life? It's not always been the voice of someone, but perhaps it's been the pulling, the tugging of the Spirit through an experience in your life. Maybe a trial, tribulation, a problem, or even a lost person. God holds the king's heart in his hand. He turns it whithersoever he will. God has the ability to bring us about to the, uh, the place that we should be. We have, must have an attention The Bible says in James 2, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Mm. Oh, we can talk about faith in God. But the truth of the matter is, it makes a difference when people see it in action. True faith. Come on. Read Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did this. You'll read it again and again. It was their faith that compelled them to take great action and works. Come on. Did not Noah build the ark? But the Bible tells us he did it by faith. Faith compelled him to obedience and doing great works. That's what we need, a faith. That brings us to action and works. And then lastly, this morning, I'll be done. In advancement, number five, in advancement. The elements of an engaged church, advancement. I said number one, acknowledgement. Number two, appetite. Number three, awareness. Number four, attention. And number five, 
advancement. You know, that is, we need to get up and get busy doing the things God has already revealed to us that we're supposed to do. If Christians would stop looking the Word of God for what the Bible doesn't say and start looking at what the Word of God does say and get busy doing it, we'd be better off. Too many Christians go to the Word of God and say, well, God's Word doesn't say I can't do that. There is so much that God's Word says you can do. If you were busy doing those things, you wouldn't be worried about all that other stuff. The Bible says that as Christians, we avoid foolish talking and jesting and and questions that gender strifes and all these things. Often I find that in my life or in observance in the lives of others, when we busy ourselves with things that don't matter and arguments and things that don't matter, it's because we're not busy about the things that do matter. We're not busy doing the things that do matter. If we have enough time, Christians, to argue about how many angels fit on the head of a pin, come on, you say, that's ridiculous. I've heard some ridiculous arguments. Christians, we've got to realize we're in a world of people that are dying and going to hell. And we have the gospel. Let's get busy doing what God's called us to do. I see them one accord in one place with one mind. What's their mind? The mind of Christ. What was his mind? A humble mind. Oh, what did Jesus do? He humbled himself. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He did the works of him that sent him. Come on. He said, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. Jesus sent us like the Father sent him. Ooh. Was Jesus sent for no reason or no purpose? Surely not. Were we sent for no reason or no purpose? Surely not. God has sent us as the Father has sent his Son. I wonder if we thought about that. You say, well, I've not been called. I don't think not called, I think not heard. You've not heard his word and advanced in the things he's called you to. What good is knowing God's will tomorrow if you won't do it today? So many people say, all I want to be able to be busy doing what the will of God for my life is. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. This is the will of God that you be thankful. This is the will of God. The Bible says this is the will of God. He tells us what the will of God for our lives is. Let's bring honor and glory to Him. You know, so much we're busy with the details, aren't we? That God's already worked out. We want to know when, where, how, why. We busy ourselves with those details, and God says, I've already taken care of those. You know what God says? I want you to focus on who? Be who you're supposed to be, and I'll work out where you're supposed to go. Be who you're supposed to be, and I'll work out what you're supposed to do. Be who you're supposed to be. God has not revealed his word and his will to people who have already determined in their hearts they're not going to do it. When we come to God and say, God, I want to be who you want me to be. Lord, today, I want to be the best husband I can be. Lord, today, I want to be the best father I can be. Lord, today I want to be the best church member I can be. Lord, today I want to be the best. You fill in the blank. Whatever it is that God's called you to. Say, God, help me to be who I should be and trust you with the details because I want to do your will today and leave tomorrow to you. I don't know what tomorrow may bring. The Bible says sufficient is the evil for today. We not worry about tomorrow. If tomorrow comes, get up and say, God, Help me to be about your business today. But I wonder today, 
with head bowed and eyes closed as we move into the invitation. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.